Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord is a name we're familiar with in the Greek. Kurios simply means the owner, the master, one who has control of the person. So the Lord Jesus Christ, what is James saying? He's simply saying this. He knew that Jesus was God and the master of his life. He knew that he would respond to God and God alone. He was not the master of his own life. Now, where did he learn that? Once again, he learned it from the teaching of Jesus. It must have been painful for Jesus to be rejected like he was by his siblings. God could have set him up with the perfect family, but he didn't, and he did it to give us hope. Why didn't they believe, and what made them change? We can only speculate on the first question. Issues like sibling rivalry, favoritism are the most likely reasons, and if you're from a large family, you can certainly relate to that. Ultimately, it was sin that was blinding their hearts and minds. Listen in to learn how our Savior's example of obedience in every area of his life finally made the difference in theirs. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 31, with his continuing study entitled, James, Jesus' Brother, Skeptic to Radical Believer. Jesus, in fact, is called the firstborn, her firstborn, which implies that the others were born, other children were born after. So these brothers and sisters were not cousins of Joseph's sons from some previous marriage. Joseph wasn't married before. They were Jesus' brothers and sisters from Mary and Joseph. Now, interesting enough, in that verse, Joseph isn't mentioned. So probably, we don't know, but we probably think by that point, he died. It could be that Joseph died very early, and Jesus, being the oldest child, had to kind of take over. We really don't know how all that fits in. Now, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. As Jesus began to minister, there was a problem in the home. Mary knew, Joseph knew who Jesus was. He would be the savior of the world. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph probably told their children that. But the children, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, did not believe Jesus was God or that Jesus was the Messiah. So when Jesus would begin to teach in different places, uh, people would, when he shared that, people would get angry at him. What do you mean you call yourself God? Mostly Jewish people, of course. And at one time, we we go to a place called Mount Precipice, where they tried to throw Jesus over the cliff and kill him. So when Jesus was in the area where Mary and the brothers were, sometimes they would go and try to get him out of there. Shut up. Quit talking.
talking about that stuff. You're going to get yourself killed. And uh, we don't know what Mary would certainly have done that. We don't know whether the boys got jealous of Jesus. They said, go ahead, keep opening your mouth. Go ahead. We really don't know happen. But earlier, I've asked you to turn to verse 31. But back in verse 21, let me share this. Look at me. Uh, Jesus is called crazy by his brothers. He's a lunatic. They thought he'd lost it mentally. Oh, yeah, you're God. Mm-hmm, let's take you to circles of care. There's no way. Now, look at verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. See, what happened is Jesus' teaching. Mary and the boys hear about it, and they go, and they're trying to get Jesus to come home. Quit teaching. Just quit teaching. But notice what's going to happen. The crowd preventing them to get to them, and, and so... Jesus is not going to even interact with his parents. He's not going to go outside. He's not going to say anything. And he's not going to stop teaching. Important principle. I'm going to give you four or five important principles. So I'll write this down this morning. Principle number one. Jesus obeyed God first and not man, including even his own family. Now, at a young age, Jesus would have submitted to his parents, like all children are told to do. But when he became this age, he's 30 or 31 by now, he is always going to put God first. That's a principle for you and me. See, we don't obey man when man's commands break God's. God's always come first. Now, we do obey man. We do obey the law, driving, all of those kind of things. But when it comes, remember, the early disciples, they were told by the Jewish people, Shut up talking about Jesus. Peter responded, well, I'm sorry. We're going to have to obey God rather than you. We're not going to shut up. Well, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Remember, if you're a Christ follower, your first responsibility is always to God and his word. Always. This is what Jesus is going to do. Now, what happens? He not only doesn't stop teaching, but he makes a very important statement. Look at verse 33. Look, who are my mother? And my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, Ah, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So what does Jesus say? He does this. Here's the principle you want to write down. Let's explain it. Our relationships with other Christ followers are often stronger than with unsaved relatives. Do you understand that? In other words, there comes a time when our spiritual bond with other believers is stronger than with our blood relatives. It doesn't mean we, we diss them. It simply means our relationship is stronger with our believing moms and dads and brothers and sisters than our own relatives. Understand, that's going to happen. you got to put God first, and sometimes it's going to cost you. And in this particular case, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to stop teaching. I'm sorry. Those people that want to do the will of God, that's what's going to happen. Now, when you begin thinking about that, and these relationships are more important and closer than our physical family, who is Jesus talking about? Here's an important key for us. Take a look. John chapter 7, verse 5. Look what it says. For even... His own brothers did not believe in him. 
Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. For 30 years, all these kids are being born into the family. Three sisters, four more brothers. For 30 years, they lived with Jesus, and they refused to believe he was the Messiah, that he was God. He lived a perfect life in front of them. He never sinned. They would have seen the fruit of the Spirit in his life every day. He was perfect and loving and kind and patient and wise beyond anyone else. That would remind him what he was. He was, he was fully man. The Spirit was in control of him. Then he left home at the age of 30, began his ministry. His brothers and, and, and sisters saw him, heard about him, amazing teaching, miracles, turning water into wine, his first miracle. They saw all of that. They, they saw blind people seen, and they still refused to believe he was a Messiah. You see, they were blinded and could not see that he wasn't just a man, but he was fully God. That's a huge principle for us. Here it is. Sometimes, write it down, the hardest people to reach are our own family. Could I hear an amen? amen? Very often, you will not reach your family. Somebody else will reach your family. Now, that doesn't mean we give up on them. By the way, you're definitely not giving up on them because you're praying for them. You got it? You got it? So what are you really praying for? Probably somebody else to have an encounter with them because it's very difficult for us because we're so emotionally evolved. There's not a person listening to me right now that doesn't want every one of their loved ones going to heaven with them. Not one. And it hurts us. Do you think it hurt Jesus for 30 years? Devastated him. Remember, it says, he came to his own. His own believed him not. Now, that's all the Jewish people, but that's his own family, other than Mary and Joseph. Very difficult for Jesus. So, how will that ever change? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, eventually, Jesus went to the cross. You remember that. And let's see if you remember what happened to show you the amazing dysfunction in that family. Jesus went to the cross. While he was on the cross, he turned. Mary was there. His mother was there, other ladies. His mother was there watching him from down below on the cross. Who did he turn the care of Mary over to? Who? John the Apostle. Not one of his brothers. Not the sisters. Why? Because John was a believer. That is amazing. That is amazing. And then he died. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. He paid for the sins of his brother and sisters. Three days later, he arose. In 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have time to go through it. The first four verses are simply the greatest testimony that you can ever have. This is the gospel, the first four verses. And Paul tells us what that looks like. So he is resurrected. If Jesus isn't resurrected, no, we're not Easter yet. We'll get there. If Jesus isn't resurrected, there's no reason for us to even sit in this building. We're gone. We're out of here. It's a waste of time because he wasn't God and there's nothing he's going to help us with. But he was resurrected. The proof that Jesus paid for your sin and my sin. Some of you are not Christians yet. He's already paid for it. Past, present, and future. Now, when you turn there, let, let's begin reading in verse 4. Paul says this, He was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, all through the Old Testament, and Jesus himself spoke, on third day I'll be raised, third day I'll be raised. Verse 5. And then he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. After that, look at verse 6. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. When this was written, they were still living, but some had died. So he appears to all these disciples, 500 people at one time. So what are they? Eyewitnesses. So people later say, what did you see? He was resurrected. He was resurrected. He was resurrected. He's alive. He's alive. 500 people. How do you know? Saw his hands. Saw the scars. He's alive. I saw him personally. No, nothing better than an eyewitness. Proving again, he was resurrected. See, when he was resurrected, if he hadn't seen anybody, if we didn't have any proof, how would we know? There's all kinds of proof. Now, when that begins happening, those personal witnesses are powerful. Now, look at verse 7. Then he appeared to his younger half-brother, James, and then to all the apostles. We really don't know how that happened. We, we don't know what took place. We don't know whether Jesus went after him and tried to talk with him because he would have been the oldest right there. And we, we really don't know what happened. But for whatever reason, he became a full-on believer. What changed his heart? How did he move from this longtime skeptic? Probably 30 years, a non-believer, refusing to believe. What, what caused that to be a full-on follower of Jesus Christ? He had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. I would have loved to have heard the conversation, wouldn't you? Probably Jesus said nothing. And James went, oh my goodness. I've been wrong for 30 years. Probably bowed down and wept. And you'll see later, this was another proof that the resurrection did happen. Because James, James now writes a book that he is a changed man forever. Here's a principle. You want to write it down. This is why we have hope this morning. And I hope as you write it down, you understand this. No one is beyond the reach of God's love. 30 years a skeptic living in the very home where Jesus is born, absolutely refusing to believe. Absolutely refusing. No one is beyond the reach of God's love. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean the person on your list? Yes, it does. They're not beyond the reach of God's love. Could I hear an amen? Come on. If James can become a believer, anybody can become a believer. 30 years, same home, but there's going to be more. But there's going to be more as we go through. Now, let me tell you, he not only became a believer, he became a radical believer. So much so that the Jewish people couldn't shut him up. So they martyred him because he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, that's a change in life. That's not like somebody, well, I became a believer and it's nice if it fits. No, he, he was martyred. There is proof. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. That's fantastic. Now, when you think about that, Paul Harvey used to say this, and here is the rest of the story. Young people don't even know who Paul Harvey is. Okay, that's good. Now, what happened after this 
is that Jesus says to his uh, disciples, after he was resurrected, he says, uh, you have to go to Jerusalem, and you have to wait to be filled with the power of God. Jesus said, what I had to do minister, you have to be. Just because I'm resurrected, you can't go into all the world. He gave him the Great Commission. You've got to go into all the world. You can't go unless you're empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit. So they go to the upper room. About 120 are in that upper room. And they pray and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them to empower them to go. I want you to see who's in the upper room. Take a look. Acts 1.14. They all joined together, 120 of them, 120 believers, constantly in a prayer, along with the women, other women were there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his, what? All of the brothers have now become believers. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. I have an idea that James went and said, boys, sit down. I just saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. That guy, that kid that we were living with, he's God. (laughs) So they all become believers. Mary already was a believer. So here they are, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, you know what happened. Not only is James there, but this amazing whole group are there. So after meeting the resurrected Christ, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened. As that began to take place, an amazing thing took place. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, then I'm going to, in a few moments, go back to this. James, not a believer too long... After the day of Pentecost, they're all filled. The next thing we see as we move through the book of James, that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, is the beginning of the New Testament church. It's the first time there's a New Testament church. It's headquartered in Jerusalem. Powerful church headquartered in Jerusalem. Jews, because the early church was Jews, that had become Christians. James will be the head of the church in Jerusalem. Amazing. From a skeptic, a few weeks later, God puts him as the head of the most influential church at that time in the world. James, the head of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Wow. Amazing. Now, let's go and see, as you do, he would then later write a book. And you're going to see why he writes a book. Now, Let's go back to James 1.1, where you were. James 1.1, quickly, and I'll get right through it. Now, how many enjoyed this kind of little traipsing through from from the beginning all the way to see? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, now why did I do that? Because you need to know who wrote the book. You need to know the author, his background, how he's going to relate so that we can relate. Remember? Remember, knowledge plus application equals transformation. We're not here just to get a bunch of knowledge. Notice the transformation that took place in his life and your life as well. Now, let's read this verse. James, a servant of God. I'm going to break it into three parts as we finish. James, a servant of God. Now, if you're James and you're writing a book, how are you going to introduce yourself? My name is James, and I'm the brother of the Messiah. I lived with them for 30 years, baby. Can I name drop a few more? Mary is my mom. 
You know, the Virgin Mary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't laugh. You and I would put that right in the front page of that sucker. Because other than that, who in the heck is James? There's like a million James. He doesn't do that. Notice what he calls himself. Notice. This is amazing. He says, I'm a servant of God. Now, that word servant, we're not familiar with it. It's bondservant. It simply means this, a slave of God. And it means this, look at me, one who is in a permanent relationship of service. I tell you all the time, when you become a Christian, following Jesus Christ is not an event. It's a lifestyle. So write this down this morning. This is exactly who James is. This is how he introduced himself. Now, James would never use the word humble. I'm using it. If you call yourself, hey, I'm Mark the Humble Preacher at Calvary Chapel, you're an idiot because you're no longer humble. So I, I put it there for him. James, a permanent, humble servant of God. Now, here's where the power comes in. Where would James know that being a servant of God is godly? Because he heard Jesus teach it. Remember, he heard many times Jesus teach, but he wasn't a believer. Notice, Matthew 20, 28, Jesus speaking. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, that's where James learned it. James understood that we're all, we're nothing but servants of God. And what a privilege to be that. Now, let's read on. A servant of God, and here we go, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James recognized the deity of Christ by placing him, notice, co-equal with God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, direct. He got it. He knew he used his full name. Now, let me, let me kind of dissect. To us, it looks like, wow, that's cool. Let me dissect it really quickly. Jesus means Savior. Whose Savior was it? James. He's your Savior. Jesus, he's Savior. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. He was God. And then Lord is a name we're familiar with in the Greek. Kurios simply means the owner, the master, one who has control of the person. So the Lord Jesus Christ, what is James saying? He's simply saying this. He knew that Jesus was God and the master of his life. He knew that he would respond to God and God alone. He was not the master of his own life. Now, where did he learn that? Once again, he learned it from the teaching of Jesus. Let me read it to you. John 5, 19. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Wow. So James went from calling his half-brother crazy to calling him Lord. We just learned that Jesus never let anything, including his family, get in the way of God's work. Remember, no one is beyond the reach of God's love. With perseverance, prayer, faith, and a godly lifestyle, we can help radically change the heart of a skeptic into the life of a permanent, humble servant like James. Social media is a huge blessing that most of us use every day. We want to encourage you to become our Facebook friend and follow our Twitter feed. 
At the Facebook page and Twitter feed, we post information about upcoming events, discipleship articles, and encouraging quotes that will inspire you in your walk with Jesus. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to the Calvary Chapel Melbourne Facebook page and Twitter feed, or simply search for Calvary CCM on Facebook or Twitter. We even have a specific Facebook page for the Vieira campus. Simply search for Calvary CCM and you'll see the Vieira Campus Facebook page in the search results. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Again, our web address is LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Don't ever give up praying for your loved ones because nothing is impossible with God. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark reminds us that the story of James and his brothers can give us hope. It took them over 30 years to come around, even with a perfect witness. So, if you're ever going to help others do life right, you need to let this truth sink in. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of James. That's next time on Lessons for Living. See